let me know. Lord, you tell me in your words, not my will but yours be done. Jesus, help me now. Show me where to Just ignore the truth and love that Jesus gives. Run to the sinful and the lost. Run to the people that are tossed between the truth that Jesus lives. Run with compassion in our eyes to seek and save the empty lives without the hope that Jesus died. Run with the fire in our hearts and let us finally make our marks that He is worthy to be praised. We will run, we will run the race. We will run, we will run. I don't know where to go, Jesus let me know, Lord you tell me in your word, not my will but yours be done, Jesus help me now, show me where to Just ignore the truth and love that Jesus gives. Run to the sinful and the lost. Run to the people that are tossed between the truth that Jesus lives. Run with compassion in our eyes to seek and save the empty lives without the hope that Jesus died. Run fire in our hearts and let us finally make our marks that he is worthy to be praised we will run we will run the race we will run we will
is good. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. And I can tell you the uh, energy and the enthusiasm that you see from Andy on the platform on uh, Sunday mornings, that's the way he lives life. He, just, he, he knows one gear, and it's wide open for Jesus, and that's uh, 24-7. And uh, just a wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, we're very, very blessed uh, to have him. Well, just in two weeks, uh, we will come up to the uh, My Hope uh, evangelistic campaign with uh, Billy Graham. Uh, our church will be uh, participating with literally tens of thousands of churches uh, throughout the United States and Canada. Uh, there are many right here that were enlisted as Matthews. Uh, a Matthew is an individual that uh, develops a list of family, friends, co-workers, neighbors that they believe do not know Christ. Uh, they have been praying for those individuals and then uh, looking for opportunities to build relationship. And then over the next two weeks, they will be inviting those individuals uh, to their home uh, somewhere between November 3rd and November 10th. Uh, they'll share with them dessert, and then they will uh, show them a marvelous, powerful evangelistic presentation produced by the Graham uh, Association. And then uh, share their testimony and actually give the folks there an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. So in light of that, I thought it would be good over the next uh, several weeks uh, to give a brief series on reaching people uh, for Jesus. So I trust you uh, picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes, and today I'd like to just lay a foundation, a very basic message uh, that I've entitled, Becoming a Fisher of Men, because the first step is to accept that invitation from Jesus to uh, follow Him in this endeavor, to be with a partner with Him in mission, to reaching this world for Christ. So I, I trust these messages will not only encourage our Matthews, uh, but will challenge the entire church family uh, to really step to the plate and to receive the uh, call that Jesus extends uh, to follow Him in being a fisher of men. You remember Peter and Andrew uh, in the Scriptures. They were brothers. They were professional fishermen. And on this particular occasion, they had fished all night in the Sea of Galilee and had caught nothing. It was very early in the morning as they cast their nets out in one last desperate attempt to catch fish. Right at that very moment, Jesus, who was walking along the shore, called out to Peter and Andrew with an invitation that changed their lives forever. Follow me, and I'll make you fisher of men. And that invitation is recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And the very next verse we read, they immediately left their nets and followed Jesus. By this time, a large crowd had gathered around Jesus. Jesus selects Peter's boat to be his pulpit as the boat is thrust away just a little off from the shore. And Peter, sitting in the boat in the shadow of Jesus Christ, 
watches Jesus as he casts his net to catch men for the kingdom of God. Now, I believe right at that moment, Peter was hit with a wave of fear and just began to drown in an overwhelming sense of inadequacy as he thought, how could someone like me ever become a successful fisher of men like Jesus? Well, Jesus reads Peter's thoughts of fear. And he sets out to give Peter his first fishing lesson. And he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Well, Peter probably thought, it's obvious Jesus is a carpenter and not a fisherman because every fisherman on the Sea of Galilee knows you catch fish at night in the shallow water not in the daytime, in deep water. What Jesus asked Peter to do was contrary to all of his training, to all of his experience. And also remember, Peter had just been fishing all night. He was exhausted. He was frustrated. And the last thing he wanted to do is what Jesus commanded. And Peter also had his pride. And he didn't want to look like a fool in front of that huge crowd that had gathered on the shore. But to Peter's credit, despite his objections, he obeyed Jesus. Jesus, I mean, Peter said to Jesus, nevertheless, at your bidding, I will let down the nets. And of course, Peter's obedience, you know the story, resulted in a miraculous catch of fish. Now, it's very important to understand what the miracle was. Such a large school of fish in one spot was not strange. The miracle was that Jesus could look down into the very depths of the sea and to see where that multitude of fish was. And then the light came on for Peter. If Jesus can see into the deepest depths of the sea... Jesus can see down into the deepest depths of my heart. He sees my fear. He sees my unbelief. He reads my every thought. He sees my every sin, my every flaw, my every deficiency. As it says in Hebrews 4.12, No creature has any cover from the sight of God. Everything lies naked and exposed before the eyes of Him with whom we have to deal. With that realization, Peter, right there in the boat, he just threw himself at the feet of Jesus. And he cried out, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus responds, Don't fear, Peter. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. Now, this morning, I simply want to focus on that invitation that was extended by Jesus to Peter and Andrew in Matthew 4.19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is the invitation that Jesus is still extending today. He's extending to you today. So, please uh, follow in your notes 
as we discover from this one simple invitation God's plan for your life, God's purpose for your life, and God's promise. What is God's plan for your life? Well, Jesus summed it up in two words. The two simplest words that sum up what a Christian is and the entire Christian experience. He said what? Follow me. And that's the simplest definition of a true, authentic believer. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's turned from his sin to embrace God's unmerited favor and grace through his work on the cross through Jesus Christ. As he paid for the penalty of our sin to rise again as our Lord and as our Savior. So we turn from our sin to embrace that gift, but then to follow him to express our worship and our love and our delight in Him. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Look at three very simple but very important points. First, to follow Jesus is to trace my life after Jesus. To follow Jesus is to trace my life after Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. He, Jesus, is your example And you must follow in His steps. In our guest fellowship last week, we were talking about this very verse. And I would encourage you to circle that word example. In the Greek text, it's a compound word. It's hupogrammas in the Greek text. And it literally means an underwriting. And the way this word was used in New Testament days, when a teacher was working with very small children to teach them the Greek alphabet. What the teacher would do, she would take a piece of parchment and with very dark ink, she would write that alphabet on that parchment. And then she would give the children a very transparent piece of parchment that she would put, the children would put over what the teacher had done. And then the children would simply trace the letters that had been written there by the teacher. And that that was the way they would learn uh, the Greek alphabet. And so this verse is saying, Jesus is our hoopogrammas. He's our underwriting. We're to trace our lives after Him. He's the only one worthy of following. Look at Romans 8, 29. You know, I I have it here from the message. You know, in the... uh, in, in most of the translations, it talks about we've been, the word that's used is what? Predestined to what? Be conformed to the image of His Son. That word predestined in the Greek text is prohorizo. It has two fundamental meanings. It means the moment as a believer, you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. For example, for me, September 20th, 1970, is when I had my encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I placed my faith in Him. And the Scripture teaches us the moment you place your faith in Jesus, God predetermines that the outcome of that faith will be that you will be made like Jesus Christ. And you begin that process, and that process will not be complete until when? When you see Jesus face to face. But that word also is where we get our word horizon, pro-horizo. And it means to place a boundary around something. And the, and the beauty of this verse, when you connect it with verse 28, that says what? All things what work together for good to those who are called by God according to His purposes. And so God is saying, if you're a believer, 
I'm so committed to making you like Jesus Christ, I've placed limitations on your life. I've placed a boundary. I've put you in a little bubble. And there's nothing the devil can do to you. There's nothing the world can do to you. There's nothing any other person can do to you. There's nothing any circumstance or adversity that can do to you that I can't use to make you more like Jesus Christ. And so I'm giving you a guarantee. I won't allow anything to touch you unless I know I can use it to make you more like Jesus. Now, folks, doesn't that bring us great comfort today? Adversity hurts. And in our pain, we're often perplexed. And we're struggling with why. And let me just give you a word of advice. I've walked with Jesus since 1970. When you're hurting, when you're asking why, God does not typically give an explanation. But He gives promises. And He wants us to trust Him. And believe that guarantee that Although I don't understand right now, God has the ability even to use this for His greater glory and my good. But look at how this reads. I love how this reads in the paraphrase, the message. Look there in your notes. God decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love Him along the same lines as the life of His Son. We see the original an intended shape of our lives there in Him. So to follow Jesus is to trace my life after Him. Now listen, beloved, the Jesus you communicate to others is not the Jesus you talk about. It's the Jesus you follow. It's the Jesus whose life you live out. One man well said, the best argument for Christianity is Christians, their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug and complacent consecration, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. So to follow Jesus is to trace my life after him. Look at the second truth. To follow Jesus is also to turn away from all other distractions. To follow Jesus is to turn away from all distractions. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now let me mention very briefly, the three probably biggest distractions that keep us from following Christ. And the first, and these are not in your notes, so you may just want to jot them down on the side there. The first is greed. Greed. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money at the same time. Period. Now, please notice, Jesus did not say, you cannot be rich. Matter of fact, there are many portions in the Scripture that exhort believers, followers of Christ, who have been blessed with great riches. So there's nothing wrong with being rich. This is not saying you cannot have a nice home or you can't have nice things. What Jesus taught was that you cannot make those things the number one goal in your life. 
The number one goal in life is not to become like the Joneses, but to become like Jesus. The number one goal is not to love things, but what? To love people. Now, the second distraction, not only greed, but guilt. Guilt. You cannot wallow in the guilt of past mistakes or whine about present weakness and follow Jesus at the same time. Concerning past sin, God says, I want to forgive you. As you come to me in transparency and honesty to confess and forsake that sin, I want to forgive it so we can get on with my plan for your life. Concerning weakness, God says, hey, that get excited. That's my opportunity to show you my power. You know, the next time you feel like God can't use you because of some past sin or present liability, just remember these individuals from the Bible. Noah got drunk. Abraham and Sarah, they were what? Too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah, she was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair. He was a womanizer. Probably even had a few tattoos scattered throughout his body. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy, by many standards, were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was depressed and suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a bitter, bitter widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had a stomach ulcer. Lazarus was dead. So no more excuses. And again, I'm not saying that to excuse sin... The simple point is, every one of these folks in their failure, as they became honest and transparent, knew God's grace and mercy, had the opportunity to have a new beginning, and God used them. So you're not beyond the point of no return. God loves you, and He's committed to you, and He wants you to get on with His plan for your life. The third distraction, good things, just good things. That often rob us from the best and what God has for us. I'm talking about like hobbies and sports and personal interest. And again, all those things are fine to have. Nothing wrong with them. But if they consume too much of your time and energy, they can distract you from God's plan. And I think we would all admit that we've struggled with that. That we all often get too busy and so busy we get distracted from what God has for us. Again, we're back to the importance of keeping what? First things first. The Apostle Paul expressed the right attitude for a follower of Christ when he wrote, and look at that next verse. What a great verse. This would be a great life verse for a believer. Acts 20, verse 24. This is Paul. He says, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it 
for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Now let me ask you a simple question. What are you using your life for? You're using it for something. You're investing your time. You're investing your talents. You're investing your treasure in something. And God is saying, I want you to use your life. I want you to use your resources, first and foremost, to spread my kingdom, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, again, this doesn't mean that you need to leave your full-time work. It doesn't mean you need to leave your marriage partner and your children and go off to some uh, foreign country. I mean, work is a gift from God. Marriage is a gift from God. The point he's making is all of those are arenas to make Jesus known. Those are the fishing ponds you're to fish in with your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever God has put you. There's your fishing pond. And so he's saying, again, you don't have to leave those things, but, no, but realize there are tools, there, there are platforms that I've given you to tell others about Jesus. Look at the third thing. To follow Jesus is also to stay tuned in on Jesus. It's to trace my life after Jesus, to turn away from all distractions, and then to stay tuned in on Jesus. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I've got my eye on the goal, where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running. I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. And again, you need to honestly ask yourself, what is the goal of your life? Can you honestly say that the number one priority in my life, the number one goal in my life is to follow Jesus, to trace my life after Him, to turn away from distractions, to stay tuned in on Him, and to accomplish the plan and the purposes that He has for me. Now look at two key applications. Number one. Before there can be a credible verbalization of the gospel, there must be a clear visualization of the gospel. You understand what I'm meaning by that? Before I can share the gospel with others in a credible fashion, they need to be able to see Jesus living in and through me. Jesus showed us this pattern. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. Who's that talking about? Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then verse 14, and the Word became what? Flesh. And we beheld His glory. The glory of the, only, of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, in Jesus, we're able to see what God was like. And in the same fashion, as we're brought to Jesus Christ and He begins to grow us in Jesus... There needs to be that display of His life and love through us. It provides the credibility then for the witness and the testimony. Then look at the second application. It's so important. The devil does not care if my life is filled with good things or bad things as long as I am, I am distracted from the one thing God put me on earth to do. Profound truth. He doesn't care. He doesn't make any difference if it's bad things, sinful things, or good things. As long as I'm distracted from the one thing. 
See, once you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He could have taken you right to heaven, true? He could have, but He did not. Why do you think God left you on planet Earth? Well, have you ever thought about about the fact that there are only two things? Think about this. There are only two things that you can do on earth that you cannot do in heaven. See, we'll worship in heaven. We'll fellowship in heaven. You know what the two things are? That you can do on earth, you can't do in heaven. One is sin. (laughs) The other is to tell lost people about Jesus Christ. So, which of those two reasons do you believe God left you here for on planet earth? It's to tell others about Jesus. Now, what is God's purpose for my life? What is God's purpose for my life? Follow me and I will make you, what's that phrase? Fishers of men. That's the purpose, to make you a fisher of men so that you can impact others for the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to be a fisher of men? That first point, to be a fisher of men, we don't need to make this complicated, is to catch people for Jesus. To be a fisher of men is to catch people for Jesus. Luke 5, verse 10, Jesus said to Peter, do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. And it's obvious, folks, before you can catch people for Jesus, you must go fishing for them. You know, what's the phrase that fishermen use? I am what? Going fishing. And that's why Jesus said what? Go into the world. Go and tell. Go and share the good news of my love and my mercy and my grace. Look at the next three points in your notes which reveal where we are to go fishing. First, I'm to share with those in my world. I'm to share with those in my world. Luke 8, 39. This is the man that was touched by the demoniac. Jesus exercised the demons. And then that man embraced Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Remember the man said, can I go with you? Can, can, can I just stay with you now, Jesus, and, and follow you for the rest of my life? In other words, in your immediate presence, being one of your closest disciples. And notice what Jesus said to him. He said, no, return. Return where? To your house and describe what great things God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So that's where you start. You share with those in your world, those in your family, those closest to you. But notice we don't stop there. We have to dare to reach beyond. I have to dare to reach beyond my world. I must dare to reach beyond my world. Jeremiah 1, 7 and 8. Go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you and don't be afraid of people. See, it's fear that keeps us from sharing others. He said, don't be afraid for I will be with you and take care of you. In other words, often Jesus pushes us out of our comfort zone and He asks us to take a very unique step of obedience to reach a special individual or a special group of people. You know, think of sound choices. Most of you were not here when we established our pregnancy clinic that has now had the opportunity to, to minister to well over 60, 65,000 different women in this community. Thousands have come to know Christ through that ministry as well as babies being saved to be raised up to discover their God-given destiny. If you were here when we started that ministry back in the early 80s, 
It was controversial. We were afraid. We almost didn't embark on this ministry because of the apprehensions we had. There were so many questions we couldn't answer. It took a lot of flack. It took a lot of criticism. But despite that, sort of like Peter, nevertheless, Lord, it's your word. I'll let the net down. And as we did, God has mightily used that word. Look what's happening in our community now. God is giving us an opportunity. I said 50 youth every Wednesday night. The alternative school door, God is beginning to open doors. Yes, there's some discomfort there. Yes, there are some challenges there. Yes, it's not easy. But that's where we have to step to the plate. Don't be afraid, he says. I'll be with you. I'll take care of you. You just step out and you be obedient and I'll be behind you. And then notice the last thing. We have to care about the whole world. I have to share with those in my world, dare to reach beyond my world, and care about the whole world. He said, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so, in other words, what's he saying? He says, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, look around, like our Matthews, develop a list, begin praying for those individuals, begin to pray for family, lost family members, your neighbors, co-workers, others you rub shoulders with. Ask God to give you opportunities to build relationships with them. Ask God to provide an opportunity for you to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And folks, hear me now. I've known Christ since 1970. I've never known a single believer, a single follower of Christ that really got serious about this, actually began praying for people. You develop a list. You begin to pray. God, I'm just going to wait for you to open the door. God will open the door. God loves those individuals more than you. He loves them this much as he died on the cross for them. And he wants to use you to reach them. He gives us that wonderful privilege. So, That's a test I put out there. Just take it up. Develop that list. Begin praying. Just simply pray, Lord, move upon their hearts. Bring them to Christ. Lord, give me grace to build a better relationship with them. And then, Lord, give me the grace to see any opportunity you give me to share Jesus with them. Now, what bait do I use to catch people for Jesus? What bait do I use? That second point. Simply my testimony. My testimony. We don't have to make this complicated. What is your testimony? It's expressing what you possess in Christ, and explaining how you received it. And there are basically four elements that you see there in your notes. What my life was like before I met Jesus. Number two, how I realized my need for Jesus. Third, how I received Jesus into my life. And then fourth, the difference Jesus has made in my life. Now, as we close, very, very quickly, and we'll sort of pick up And I trust you'll be back. Next week's message is very important. I'm going to talk about relational evangelism. How do you... It's going to be very practical. How do you build relationships with lost people? And then as you build those relationships, use that as an opportunity to effectively share Christ with them. But look at what God's promise is to me. He says, I will make you. Notice that. Who's going to do it? He says, I will make you. He's saying, I'm able. Will you trust me? Yes, you might be afraid like Peter. Yes, you might be overcome with inadequacy. And you're intimidated about this whole matter of reaching people for Jesus. But he's giving you a promise. I'll make you. You just do what I say. Trust me. Look at that phrase or that verse in Luke 5, 4, what he told Peter. Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Doesn't that verse imply 
that this is going to be difficult. It is going to be frightening. He is going to ask you to do things you've never done before. He is going to ask you to go places you've never been before. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to take you out of your comfort zone. But then notice those last three points as we close. And here's the formula for fishing, being a successful fisher of men. He said, put out into the deep water. In other words, go where God sends me. In other words, be sensitive to the promptings that He places on your heart for family members, neighbors, co-workers. Don't, don't run over that. Don't, don't dismiss it. Realize that is God speaking to your heart. That's, that's a signal to begin praying for that individual. To begin looking for opportunities to build that relationship. Looking for opportunities. So put out into the deep water. Go where God sends me. Notice, let down your nets. Do what God tells me. Do what God tells me. And then look at the last one. Four cats. Because what? God will what? Empower me. But notice, the empowerment doesn't come until what? The step of obedience. You know, even the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, champion of the faith. We don't think we could touch Paul. It's amazing in 1 Corinthians. I'll stop with this. In chapter 2, he talks about when he initially came to Corinth to tell the people the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what the champion Apostle Paul said. In the middle of God's will, filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, I came to you in fear and trembling. My knees were knocking. I was afraid. I was overcome with my inadequacy. I felt like running rather than getting involved. But he said, I knew I couldn't let my fear, I couldn't let my sense of inadequacy dictate my Christian life. So I went where God sent me, and I'm doing what God told me. And he said, it's amazing. In that same verse, he says, this is what I experienced, fear and trembling. But you experienced, as I obeyed God, as I did share, you experienced the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And that church was birthed there in the city of Corinth. So Jesus is inviting you today as he invited Peter and Andrew, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher's of men. Now listen as we go into the invitation. When Jesus extended the invitation to Peter and Andrew, had they had any experience at that point? No. Did they know what this was going to involve in their lives? No. But it has to start here. There has to be a point as a believer, as a Christian, that you say, okay, I don't know what this is going to mean going forward. But I know one thing. Jesus is worthy of all that I am and all that I possess. And Jesus is calling out to me, follow me, follow me, and I, I will make you a fisher of men. And so this morning he's saying, Would you, are you willing to take that first step into saying, yes, I'm right here, Lord. I don't know what this is going to involve. I don't know what it's going to mean in the future. But yes, I will follow. I commit to tracing my life after you, turning away from distractions, staying tuned on you, keeping first things first, and making this matter of winning people to Christ a priority and trusting that you'll do it, that you'll do it. Because it's, I certainly can't, and it has to, and it have to be you working in and through me. Father, thank you for the challenge today from your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that as you call, 
by your grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be drawn and that we will accept that call, although we may not know what it entails this moment. But knowing that as we go out into those deep waters, those unknown waters where we've never been before, you're there with us right there. And all we have to do is be obedient. And as we're obedient, your power will be released, and we'll see you use us for your honor and for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. I'll be standing at the front to greet anyone that has a decision of any nature. Uh, If you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I trust Jesus will catch you today as you would put your trust in Him. Ask Him in to forgive you of your sins, to take control of your life. Possibly you've been visiting, wanting to unite with this church family. But for every believer, for every believer, I'm asking you, right there in your pew is this invitation expended. Will you say, yes, Jesus, I will follow, and I'm giving you my life in this matter now. Please stand as the invitation is extended.